Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast for a better, better future. I'm John Biggs. On today's show, we have a rerun. We're talking to Melton Damaris, an investor in cryptocurrency. This is Technotopia. In the next 60 seconds, you're going to learn how the Flatiron School can change your life. The Flatiron School will help teach you everything you need to get the job in code, data science, or design. They'll also prepare you for the jobs that don't even exist yet. Because this is a school designed to educate you in the art of change. So if you're feeling stuck, bored, or unfulfilled, Flatiron will teach you how to change things. You'll learn by making things, breaking things, and discovering how the future is being built. The results speak for themselves. Go to flatironschool.com slash podcast and read about our graduates' new careers, salary ranges, upcoming courses, and explore these exciting new careers. You can start building your own career in coding, data science, or digital design at one of Flatiron's local WeWork campuses, or you can take courses online. Go to flatironschool.com slash podcast, read the reviews, and sign up for a free intro course. That's all we ask. Enrollment is now open. It's time to future-proof yourself and change things, fix things, make things better, starting with you. flatironschool.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have the founder of Athena Capital, Meltem Demers. Welcome to the show. This is a this is a real treat because I think we uh, we last talked years ago. I think it was uh, about blockchain and everything. We talked about it about nine months ago on oh. a stage in Las Vegas. <laughs> it feels like it was years ago. <laughs> it was aggressive. It was an aggressive conversation, and I walked away from that saying. John is so refreshing. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's, very few people have ever said I'm refreshing. I'm like a, uh, I'm, I'm like a, uh, I'm like a, maybe an espresso. Maybe I'm restorative. Mm. Yeah. Either way, um, I think the other people on that panel um, were not loving it, but uh, I had a great time. So I'm looking forward to doing it all over again. Okay, so let's. So this is this is a panel about this is a podcast about optimism. This is this is this is how things are going to change for the better. But we can yeah. talk a little bit about how things suck right now. Uh, I I feel that the whole blockchain um, Bitcoin industry is run by. A bunch of bros who are essentially trying to keep outsiders out. Uh, at the same time, you have banks and the big companies trying to trying to cash in on it, and they're trying to create their own uh, their own systems designed to keep uh, highly technical people out of the whole operation. And I think it's creating a vortex of suckitude that's ruining the whole uh, industry. Would you disagree? No, nope, not at all. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, and I think look, here's here's the the sad part of all of this is we've seen this story before. I don't think um, there's that much around what's happening here that's highly unusual. I think we have a group of people um, who are spreading very pseudo intellectual narratives, and they're finding that they can get away with it. Um, we operate in an environment where cash, financial capital is the cheapest it's ever been. It's never been easier to raise money. It's never been easier to, you know, launch a, a project and use big buzzwords and latex font, which is the font that people use for academic white papers, mm -hmm. to write a pseudo-intellectual paper, to put that out into the market, to raise money, and then to basically dick around with these crypto-utopian ideas. So, Look, that's that's a highly skeptical take on things, and I do think that there are a lot of people who say they're in this because they care about 
freedom and financial inclusion, all of these things that make people feel good about themselves and provide a lot of social signal and virtue signal. Um, and that's one camp. Um, but I do think there are a lot of people here who are just excited about building new things and experimenting with technology. I think this whole overcapitalization problem that's been created by the financial success of Bitcoin and particularly Ethereum um, is sadly part of the story that will continue to have negative impacts on this ecosystem for some time to come. But I'm actually surprisingly optimistic in the midst of all the suckitude, as you mm -hmm. call it, that we are seeing really, really interesting applications come to market. I still think Bitcoin is revolutionary and novel in a lot of different ways that creates a lot of value for people. And um, I'm generally optimistic, which is why I'm still spending all of my waking hours focused on this particular technology, this particular asset class, and this group of entrepreneurs, investors, and um, thinkers. Okay, so let's unpack this whole thing because there was a lot. There's a lot going on there, and this is actually fascinating. So, what is what what does this whole industry look like in ten years? I think it looks just like the um, the the tech industry, right? I think there are a lot of different companies that are building the protocols. There are a lot of different companies that are focused on the networking or compute layer. And there are a lot of different companies focused on the application layer, which is where people like you and I would interact with the technology on a day-to-day -day basis. I think a lot of what's happening on the technology front will be obfuscated um, by better user experience, by great design, by things that you know, people can actually understand. I think the one thing that is a little different is it's yet to be seen whether these tokens that are native to these protocols calls do turn out to have value, particularly this concept of a utility token, um, whether that actually has credence and merit and whether that is actually sustainable longer term as these projects grow, as these tokens um, are actually used by real people, if there is actually a way to make that work. I'm still a little skeptical on that. Um, but I think it's, it's going to become an increasing part of our, our everyday lives. Um, we're going to see more and more people capitalizing it. We're going to see enterprises to integrate little bits and pieces of blockchain technology, starting largely on the private blockchain side, um, which is really more of an enterprise SaaS or an enterprise tech play. But I think we will start to see some enterprises interact with public open source chains, um, public open source protocols, and I think that will be interesting. I think ultimately the, the big question for me is, is can Bitcoin, can a cryptocurrency ever truly become a store of value, something that competes with fiat money? And I think that's the, the challenge I'm most excited about. Um, from a global macro perspective, we're living in a really politically turbulent time. There's a lot of global uncertainty, a lot of global unrest. Every day that the stock market here in the U.S. goes up, I think we all continue to be baffled and somewhat anxious about what will mm -hmm. happen next. And I think there will likely be a major global financial shock, um, something systemic that happens, just like we saw in 2008, whether it'll be China's housing market collapsing, whether it'll be the U.S. equities market collapsing, whether it'll be a shock to commodities, whether it'll be some sort of um, political event, who knows. Um, but I, I do believe there will be another massive global financial event. Um, and I think that could be sort of that catalyst the world needs to take cryptocurrencies seriously. Or it could be the catalyst the world needs to say, we're not going to touch this stuff. Who knows? Hmm. Okay. So we're so we're, you're expecting another... Are you thinking recession? You're thinking of some sort of depression? What's the what's the uh, what's the wager? Uh, I think you know I think there will be another 
blow up. Um, I do think in a lot of places around the world, again, the world just has such an abundance of cash and everyone is looking for ways to invest that cash to generate alpha. And so what you see as a result is it's very, very difficult to generate return right now. We're seeing that, you know, in private equity, in the hedge fund space, even to a certain degree in the, the venture space, which is why VCs are flocking to crypto and tokens is it's one of the few things where you're guaranteed to make money. Mm -hmm. um, but I think even retail investors are confused by the market. There's just a lot of general confusion, the collapse of the Eurozone, um, what's happening in Europe. Um, the, the collapse of markets in Asia, the general political unrest in the Middle East. There's just a lot of uncertainty. And what I know is that in uncertain times, people behave in extremely irrational ways. And whenever people behave irrationally, I think we see the breakdown of traditional market theory of CAPM and other models that people have traditionally relied on. And I think right now we're in a time where you know everyone's trying to do technical analysis and valuation research and come up with a thesis, but there really is no thesis. And mm -hmm. crypto is very much the same. What we see kind of defies common sense and common logic, but it is. And so um, I think anytime you have that type of uncertainty and volatility, you see a lot of unusual, unexpected things happen that are beyond the standard three deviations from the mean that we typically account for. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I meet a, I met a company the other day that was doing, um, I guess it was like financial analysis on a, the ICO market. And I told him it was really silly to do because it's like doing a financial analysis on, uh, I don't know, a frog race. You never, eventually they're, they're, they're going to go forward, <laughs> but you don't know, you don't know if they're going to stay on the track and, uh, and trying to address that with mathematically is almost impossible. So it's, so what's the, uh, if, if I'm a, if I'm, a retiree sitting in my in my fancy uh, office. I have this I have this picture of a guy with a really big wooden desk and like an old computer on it. And I have stopped using my equity trading uh, thing. I stopped using my E-Trade account. And now I want to invest in some of these ICOs. Should I do it? And how should I figure out? How should I how should I put I don't know hundred thousand dollars into this whole operation to make a little bit extra money? Yeah, so, so number one, I'm going to say I'm not an investment advisor, so nothing I take should yeah, be yeah, of course. investment advice, so disclaimer. Um, but look, here, I think for the average retail investor, right, I'm going to go back to um, the very much overhyped um, Joffrey Moore's idea of crossing the chasm, right, that sort of um, bell curve where, you know, the early adopters are typically 1% to 2% of the general population. They're the first sort of adopt technology, experiment with it. Then you have the early majority, then you have the the majority, which is really when something crosses over into the mainstream, and someone you know in the Midwest may actually be buying these these assets. I, we're so far away from that. I mm -hmm. would say that probably you know less than one percent of the U.S. population actively holds cryptocurrencies. Most people choose to hold Bitcoin and Ether just because those two assets have a longer track record. It's much easier to find information about Bitcoin and Ethereum than it is to find information about say. Tron or Lisk or mm -hmm. another token that's somewhere in the, the top 100. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're a normal, busy person going about your life, you have a job, you have your family, you don't have 15 hours a day to be on Reddit or Twitter researching cryptocurrencies. So I think for most investors, um, exposure right now really consists of getting a small bit of exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum. And over time, as we get better and better data sources, as we see more structured project products emerge, um, we'll start to see more investors perhaps choose to allocate, say, 1% or 2% to the overall asset class. 
I think for a retail investor, that's probably a bit aggressive. These are still, you know, high risk assets. This is still a high risk investment category. Um, but I think the way it'll happen is through structured products, through ETFs, through index funds. The analogy I always use is biotech, right? So I know nothing about biotech, very mm -hmm. little. But I know that as an asset class um, and as a technology investment theme, it's an important one. We have an aging population, Medicare and Medicaid are fraught with problems. So I know I want to allocate into the biotech sector. Now, I don't have time to research biotech because I spend all my time on crypto and <laughs> blockchain. So what do I do? I go to Vanguard and I buy a biotech index fund, right? And that's the easiest way for me to get exposure. I think for the average per person getting exposure to cryptocurrencies, to ICOs, will likely, the first entry point, will be some sort of structured product that's managed by a manager they're maybe already familiar with. You know, most people use Vanguard, BlackRock, uh, Fidelity. So those players are all actively looking at the asset class and really thinking about what the impact might be on the mix of products they offer their customers. Maybe it'll be through some newer service providers in partnership with existing distribution channels. Mm -hmm. But I really think we're quite a far way away from, you know, a, an average retail investor going on Coinbase, buying Bitcoin, then going and taking that Bitcoin, transferring it into Bittrex or Binance or KuCoin. And if you've never heard of those things, that's why. Then trading that Bitcoin into other assets, doing the same thing on the way out. I just, that's a really shitty process. <laughs> no one really wants to go through. Um, so I think it'll start much like other assets have sort of gotten institutionalized over time. See, that's that's the reason why I asked because it's uh, because the dot com boom. Uh, was all about the IPO, and the IPO was uh, was a tried and true method. And even if the company was garbage, even if it was a Pets.com or a Cosmo or something like that, you could still run you could still run through the IPO process and come out the other end and have have uh, I don't know some retired dentist in Colorado buy fifty shares of uh, of Enron, and they were right. happy. And in this case, you don't why. have that. Right, but the reason why is they could buy it through their existing stockbroker, mm -hmm. right? And right now, if you call up your stockbroker, they're not going to be able to sell you cryptocurrencies because the products don't exist yet, not at the level that they need to exist for that to be possible. Um, I do think there's a lot of interest in cryptocurrencies. I mean, greed, honestly, has been the best use case <laughs> for cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. so far. Speculation um, and greed have been the primary drivers of this market. And what I always say is, like, you come for the riches and you stay for the drama because crypto is just hilariously entertaining on most days. Um, you've been looking at this market for a while and you know just how hilarious all of these characters are and the stories are so obscene and so laughably entertaining that mm -hmm. you couldn't make it up if, if you tried to, which is why I think Bitcoin the movie will be an absolute blockbuster bestseller hit. Um, but, but I think that until it becomes really, really easy, and just like buying any other asset for an investor to participate, that retail side um, is going to continue to be kind of difficult. I think the other hard part is um, even for crypto funds who are allocating into the asset class or even traditional funds like venture firms, family offices, people who are investing in alternative assets who are allocating to the crypto asset class, the problem right now is everyone is trying to replicate the success of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies that have seen a really material price appreciation over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that there are a lot of projects who are raising at exorbitantly high valuations. So as an investor, you're paying a lot to get into these assets. And there's way more competition now. There's way more noise. It's way harder 
to attract interest, even attract people to build on top of your platform. So I think, again, um, what we're going to see is people who are investing and allocating into the market and hoping to see a 5x, 10x, 20x return. Those returns aren't going to materialize. And so the question is, the impact that will have on the crypto market in the short to medium term will likely be a fairly negative one. Mm -hmm. um, but I think until we see valuations start to return to levels that are sane, until we start to see the community move away from this pseudo-intellectual mumbo-jumbo about that protocols and network effects and Metcalf's law, um, which are really just purely intellectual and really not proven by empirical evidence. I think it's going to be very challenging um, to see any sort of material rally in, in these assets. Hmm. Okay. So we got to wait for a little bit. That's interesting. The um, what What's it going to take to get uh, the pseudo-intellectuals out of their own um, proverbial backsides? Failure. Failure. Yeah, I think, look, theories are theories until they're tested and proven, um, and then they become facts. And look, there, there are a lot of things we don't know. I'm the first person to admit that there's a very high probability that I'm completely wrong about everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I'm very honest about that fact, that I'm just like everyone else trying to figure it out. And maybe I have a little bit more information than your average person, and I have a little bit more context just because I've been investing in and working in this asset class for quite a long time. Um, and it's sad to think that four years is a long time, but in crypto it is somehow. So um, look, I think we're all figuring it out. I just think that we need to be very open to the idea that we can be very wrong about everything. And I think the other hard part is um, people are doing a lot of grandstanding and getting on stages and making really grandiose claims and saying things that sound really nice. Um, when in practicality, you know, their blockchain is running on one AWS instance. Mm -hmm. It's really not decentralized. It's really not um, achieving some of the lofty goals they set out with. And so I think, again, becoming more data driven, becoming a little bit more analytical, developing a bit more rigor um, is really going to help the market. But I think, again, the maturation of the market is going to be a great forcing function. I think a bear market is always a great forcing function for people to really start to untangle what drives value versus what doesn't. And um, I'd be the first person to tell you that it's not going to be technical analysis and charting and you know, all of the media and blog posts that people are, are mm -hmm. writing, it's going to be people actually using this stuff. So what is the natural demand for a token? Let's find out. Interesting. All right. So it's not going to be, so we're, we're coming down just between utility and greed in terms of, in terms of what fixes this. It's not going to be, it's not going to be the, these highfalutin ideas about uh, decentralized, I don't know, sports fantasy sports betting it's going to be somebody actually using the fantasy sports betting to make a little bit of money and feel that they're actually it's actually working yeah and look um again i think decentralization is not a, a goal i think somehow the crypto community has really oriented itself around this rallying cry of decentralization which in and of itself is a fairly meaningless word because if I say the word decentralization, it can mean something totally different than when you say the word decentralization. To me, it could mean the distribution of tokens in a protocol being fairly egalitarian. To you, it could mean having multiple reference implementations of the code base. Yet to someone else, it could mean that mining or um, support of the network from a computational perspective is distributed. Mm -hmm. It could mean a lot of really different things. And so I think, again, uh, the other thing we've seen with the launch of EOS, right, and their approach to having block producers and the block producers getting on conference calls to decide what to do, <laughs> um, we've also seen that decentralization is hard. 
because blockchains don't solve human problems, right? Human behavior, the way humans operate, the way we think, um, that's, you know, a, a problem that's been rooted into us by millennia of competition and scarcity. And so I don't think blockchains are going to change human nature, which um, is interesting, which is why Bitcoin to me is so fascinating because it's inherently adversarial. It doesn't require coordination or collaboration. It just requires you to be greedy and self-interested, mm -hmm. which is a very skeptical, but also very realistic take on, well, it's on just what we're good nature. at, right? Well, it's human nature, right? This is how human systems work. Once you understand the constraints of what you're designing for, I think it makes it easier for you to build. I think a lot of these protocols, unfortunately, right now rely on a high degree of centralization, you know, having a, a lead developer, having sort of a face of the project. Like most of these projects have a self-appointed um, sort of leader, if you will. Um, and so I think, again, these are some of the things we're experimenting with that start to bleed from technology over into philosophy and almost religion in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but over time, I think we just need to be a li little bit more critical about what we're actually achieving with some of this technology. Um, and look, I have a long time. My time span on this is like 50 years. So I'm patient. I think um, we all need to remind ourselves that the internet didn't take five years to develop. It took 40 years to develop. <laughs> and over that period of time, there were a lot of things that worked really well. There were a lot of things that just failed miserably. Um, and eventually we got to where we are today, which is how you and I are, are talking on Skype and, you know, Venmoing each other and watching videos on our, our cell phones. But I think, again, the time span really needs to be adjusted and people need to remember that at the end of the day, what makes something valuable is the fact that people want to use it. And mm -hmm. what makes people want to use things is you know, I use my iPhone, I use the internet because it allows me to do things that make my life easier in some way, shape or form or better um, or faster or more efficient. And so, again, I'm really excited to see this bear market hopefully last quite some time um, so that people can actually focus less on just pumping out assets and raising capital and speculatively trading. We can start to focus on what are things we could build with this that people could actually use. And then as they use it, what types of things might we start to learn about this technology? I think that's that's exciting to me. I feel that you're being unfair to the people who want Lamborghinis, but I think we can uh, I think we can close on that. <laughs> really, that was uh, that's that's the best that's the best explanation of this whole market that I've heard in a long time. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I like to you know. But I'm I, just figuring it out. <laughs> I still I want my Lambo. Look, we'll get you a Lambo. Okay. Um, you can do an ICO, but look. At the end of the day, um, here's the thing we have to remember. This is all just one big experiment. And every day that goes on, um, the probability of this experiment being successful increases a little bit. And I felt that way since I first started interacting with Bitcoin. Um, and so every day that goes by, the probability goes up a little bit. But there's still a probability that this could all fail or turn out horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think we just have to remain open-minded. I have to constantly remind myself to not be so absolute and inflexible in my views. Um, and I'm very open to being wrong. And unfortunately, in this case, if I'm wrong, I'm not getting my Lambo, and you're not either. <laughs> <laughs> but someone on the other side of that trade is getting their Lambo. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, somewhere there will be Lambos. Um, but for the time being, I would be really happy just to see open, permissionless financial systems exist. And if people want to use those systems to create shit coins, and if there are people who want to buy those shit coins and there's a market, great. God bless them. All right. Thank you for yeah. this. This has been this has been amazing. I really appreciate it.
Yeah, fun chatting and uh, looking forward to blowing up another stage with you very soon. All right, beautiful. Thank you. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out.